There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Our guest today is Ludmilla Yamalova from Yamalova and Plevka. Ludmilla, how are you doing today? Very well, thank you. Good afternoon. Well, our topic today is all about wills. This was prompted by a question from last week. And uh, Pete Texan said recently there was an announcement about wills and he wants to know what's changed. We'll get to the topic, but we've already got lots of questions. So I'll kick off with this one, Lude Miller. It says, where do I stand with work residence visa when the company I work for, their trade license has expired? What do I do before any issues occur? Well, as an employee, you're not directly or and, and immediately affected when the, tr- the company's license has expired. The expiration of a license in of itself does not uh, does not affect uh, either the validity of the company uh, or any of its rights and obligations um, otherwise, including to its uh, employees, until obviously things progress. So, for example, if um, uh, the company, because usually there's a grace period for the company to pay uh, to renew its license, and after that, there are penalties that are accrued uh, to uh, to the company for renewing the license, but in of itself, the license the company does not disappear and it's not suspended uh, until certain time passes. And it depends on where the company is registered. Much depends on the authorities. But we have not seen any consistent uh, timelines, if you will, or processes for uh, across the free zones or, or across the economic zones in terms of at which point the company gets suspended. Uh, so usually, it's um, a company can even run with a with an expired license for over a year and employees will continue to be licensed uh, uh, or sponsored the same way as before unless obviously when the issues start coming up is when the company needs to do something with authorities such as for example in the listener's question to renew his visa so when that happens and now you need involvement from the authorities that's when the issues start happening but until such time just the expiration of license itself is not an issue now in terms of how to resolve it and what it means ultimately if it's it's a much bigger question that we'd need to understand the um, the bag the backdrop of the question or the details of the backdrop of the question uh, but ultimately if you think that the reason the license is not being renewed is because the company overall is is experiencing financial problems and so it's a greater problem than uh, you as an employee need to think about protecting your interest and if and we have seen such instances for example where employees have worried that the next step will be for example the, the, the owners of the company will run away or something will happen and so they're trying to protect their interest so if you think that the reason the license has lapsed uh, could be driven by something like this then you may want to bring a case to the labor court uh, preemptively to make sure that your claim at least for your employment dues is registered okay so let's say the worst does happen and the owners of the company do run away and leave a company in that situation as an employee Uh, I guess the next step of whoever the licensing authority is, is to start to cancel visas, residence visas. That may mean dependence. But, you know, how much time do you have? What can you do in that instance if you are an injured party, an innocent party? And it's it's a multifaceted question. So the authorities themselves are not going to start on their own and they're on their own initiative to cancel visas until much, much, much later. Usually uh, the actions must be taken by the people concerned. So in this case, let's say if, if the owners of the companies have run away, the employees themselves should be assertive about uh, making sure, registering their claim with the Ministry of Labor. That would be the first uh, first step because in that case, they are 
ultimately claiming the the dues that that are owed to them. Presumably, that's unpaid salaries, and certainly, even if the salaries, if their salaries are up to date, the end of service benefits and all other compensations in connection with the termination of employment. So you'd start there, and then and then. If it's yeah, yeah, there's it's such a multifaceted question. So if the manager of the company is there, for example, because somebody ultimately has to cancel the employee's visa, so employee cannot just go to the immigration authorities and said, oh, I don't want to work for this company anymore. Right. Here is sign off. Uh, I, here is my cancellation. So you do need the company to act. So you need somebody from the company, and and uh, uh, by default, it's the manager of the company, the one who's listed on the trade license. And uh, ideally, it's it's not the owner who would have run away. So it would be the manager of the company that ultimately would have to execute all the cancellations. Uh, but in the event that the owner of the company and the manager is one and the same, it can be quite complicated because until until all the, the parties affected bring the cases to the relevant authorities, such as the Labor Court, the Ministry of Labor, and the Immigration Authorities, it, it, they might be in limbo for quite some time because ultimately the other party who needs to act on any one of these transactions to take place is missing, i.e. the manager or the owners of the company. Okay, and next question. I hope that answers everything, Andy. This next question, no name. I've purchased a property on a payment plan. However, we've now organised a mortgage, and that's before the second payment has kicked in. Both the property developer and the bank are providing conflicting information on how to get the title deed registered. Um, What is the right process? Uh, Well... Frankly, there is. It's, it's a bit. The, the question is a bit conf- uh, confusing, only because uh, perhaps not all the details are revealed, or at least that the the words are being uh, used in different contexts. Because if the uh, if the listener says that they have okud, okud usually means, and that's obviously off plan. It uh, okud is a replacement or is an equivalent of a title deed for property that is off plan. So therefore, until the property has been built or has been completed, there will not be a title deed. So in this case, if, and it sounds like that is the case because uh, there's a second payment that is yet to be paid and usually when there's uh, there's still payments to be made and you're so early in the process, then the property is still being uh, constructed and therefore uh, Okud will because Okud basically is an interim registration. Uh, Okud will remain uh, to be on file uh, prior to the title deed being issued because the title deed issue will only be issued once the property has been handed over. Now, it is possible to get a mortgage even for property that is off plan, uh, and that is for the bank ultimately then to register its interest in the Okud system. So it will not be, again, the title deed, uh, but in the Okud system. And that, um, you, and then different banks have different different procedures, but usually it's it's a tri-party arrangement. So where you have the investor or the purchaser and then the bank and the land department uh, all working together because ultimately that bank will give money at simultaneously. I mean, it's a little it's a little more complicated to, to explain it in precise details on radio, but usually the bank has to, before they give the money, they have to register their interest uh, to the property. So obviously before they release any kind of cash, they must have their name registered on OCUD. So that requires a tri-party so simultaneous transaction for all of them basically ultimately go to the land department and make sure that they register, uh, the bank will register their interest in exchange for the buyer signing off on whatever documents the bank will require. That's kind of the general gist of it. Yeah, maybe this person's slightly confusing the, the, the two different things and the time frame of when to expect that maybe the bank is suggesting, look, we'll have this title deed in time, but right now it's not available, perhaps. And it could be that if the requirement is for the bank to, to issue the mortgages that they have a title deed, then unfortunately they will not be able to receive any financing until the property is completed. And there are many banks that are reluctant to, uh, uh, to loan on off-plan properties.
Okay, we're going to be talking this afternoon to Lidmili Yamalova about uh, Wills in a moment. Pete's texted back in and said, uh, are we going to get an update on Wills today? Pete, you are, don't worry. Hold your horses, as NLT was advising earlier on. Also, uh, in a few minutes' time, two questions, same thing, VAT questions. Lots of VAT questions coming in at the moment. I suspect when it comes to car insurance, I know the answer, but we will find out. So James, Dr. Carthy is texting in today. Uh, we'll come back and talk about those as well. Uh, what else are we doing, NLT? Well, we've got plenty. Legal. We've got plenty more questions coming, so do keep them coming. We've got an interesting one about medical insurance there too. So if you do have a question for Ludmilla, text us four double zero one via the free messaging app. We'll get to as many as possible. Drive live. Talks legal. Our guest today is Ludmilla Yamalova from Yamalova and Plethka. And we're going to kick straight off with the topic. Pete, Pete has been in touch. He was in touch last week and he wants to know, are we going to get that update on Wills as promised? Ludmilla, what can you tell us about Wills? Yes, this is a new uh, law that appeared in Dubai. So it only applies to, to Dubai. And it is law number 15 of 2017. And the name of the law, the, the, I guess the best translation um, in English from Arabic is the law of management of inheritance for non-Muslims and execution of their wills in the Emirate of Dubai. So law number 15, uh, number uh, 2017. Uh, the law in relevant parts brings, uh, introduces an alternative or another option to what has become known as the DAFC Wills and Probate Registry or WPR. And uh, the WPR, the DAFC Wills and Probate uh, system, was introduced about a year and a half ago, allowing non-Muslim uh, expats to register their wills with the DAFC courts. Uh, including and, and in the relevant parts, the reason for the WPR was... Um, allowing the expats the certainty of being able to include their real estate assets uh, into their wills, one, and two, also to be able to provide for uh, guardianship and custody for their children, for their minor children that, um, who have residence in the UAE. So those were in relevant parts, the two aspects uh, that were very important and that were because of the number of laws at play in the UAE in general, there wasn't enough certainty for non-Muslim expats. Uh, to rely on uh, with regards to having wills, for example, registered pre- previously with the notary public or the basically that was the only other option. So because of that lack of uncertainty, the DIFC was uh, introduced that system. Now, as of um, just a few weeks ago, uh, the uh, Dubai took that system further and expanded the jurisdiction, uh, allowing now the local courts, and that is the Dubai courts. So remember, we had this was done under the DIFC umbrella. Now this is done the uh, uh, with the new law, uh, which applies both to the DIFC WPR and now the Dubai courts. But now the Dubai courts also will have the option of having a similar registry uh, to register wills uh, with the Dubai courts, not the DIFC courts, and the, but the Dubai courts. Uh, and um, for once again, and now this law introduces the option for the experts to uh, to also include even for the, uh, with the wills that are registered with the Dubai courts, real estate. Again, something that was not available um, before. However, the law does not address the issue of custody and guardianship of children, unlike uh, some of the statements that were made in the articles um, shortly after the law was introduced. Okay, so if if you were an expat thinking about having this kind of will, you, would, you wouldn't need to duplicate. You would choose one or the other depending on which was right for you. Correct, yes. And with regards to what's right... Um, as I said, one distinction that we can tell so far is that the DIFC WPR allows you to include custody and guardianship, guardianship provisions for your minor children, um, something that, that's obviously very relevant for um, expats that have minor children. Uh, the uh, 
the the local or the Dubai courts registry um, that is to is is to be established um, as of now I, I don't believe it has been established yet uh, does not include at least the law does not include a similar provision um, there uh, but um, uh, the cost will probably be relevant we don't know what the costs are but one of the uh, one of the I guess stumbling blocks with uh, or a nuance that has been difficult for for a lot of people to swallow with the DIFC WPR is that they find that the registration of the wills through the DIFC is quite expensive, uh, and it's because it has to be. It's not just the wills themselves, but it's also the the legal costs or the lawyers' costs that would be drafting the will. So, uh, so perhaps the Dubai courts has not once they do have the registry and once they do publish the decree on how much uh, the fees will be, uh, that that would be a factor for those who are considering in between where to register and there'll be another uh, factor is the cost Uh, a third factor that uh, will be important and, and the law does not address at this point is one of language. So right now everything in the DIFC is registered in English and it's enforced and because it's enforced through the DIFC courts it does not need to be translated in any other language. It's all going to be done in English. Now with the Dubai courts there will be a registry a similar registry established in the Dubai courts allowing people to, to uh, attest or, or register their wills with the Dubai courts but it is not clear whether those wills will have to be drafted in Arabic because obviously the official language in Dubai courts is Arabic or whether there will be some kind of uh, provision to do it in both languages and such, but that could be another determining factor. Okay, Pete, hopefully that's the update. All encased, all encompassed in Liv Miller's answer. But if you do have a question on that, feel free to text back in. If we can kick off with one of the uh, VAC questions, Lude Miller, um, Carthy's um, text in. So, good evening. I have a VAC question. I, I've taken car insurance out in September and recently received a mail stating that I have to pay VAT for the same from January 2018 to August. Is that correct on their part to demand for it because I took the policy out this year in September? It's a great question, and there's a little bit of a gray area at this point, and that in some ways it may be a matter of interpretation, that is a, a legal interpretation. Uh, and in, in other words, if the insurance policy does not mention anything about any other additional fees for which the customer might uh, be ultimately responsible additionally to what um, originally committed to, such as any other government fees, then the purchaser might have an art legal argument that well then this is it's it's the it's a mistake of the insurance company they had not provided for this and therefore now they have to basically eat that difference uh, and so that's more of a contractual or it's a, contractual interpretation argument, but I do not believe that's an argument that will be held valid in this jurisdiction. And that is obviously because um, there has been a change in the laws and that's and this this fee that is now the VAT that is now being collected on all services and products is not one uh, is not one that is that is for the company, the insurance company, to col- uh, to basically to pocket, but it's actually the insurance company that's collecting that fee on behalf of the government. Uh, so I highly doubt that, that this contractual argument, and, and we trust me, we've we've been bombarded with similar questions, uh, will uh, is is a legitimate argument. So because again, the company here is collecting money on behalf of the government. So it's uh, if I, I don't believe as a lawyer, you, you could kind of stretch the uh, stretch this and 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 argue that the contract did not provide for it. Therefore, now the the insurance company has to uh, to basically consume the difference, but I don't think that's going to be the stance in most situations, and I don't think that's going to really work uh, under the circumstances. So you be prepared to pay because it is a service um, that will be taxable as of January 2018, and since you have a service that, that extends through 2018, so anything as of January will um, have the additional uh, fee.
But be careful with your arithmetic because it should only be 5% on that. At Correct. That, it's the uh, difference. It's proportional. Proportional. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I do. It's interesting that Carthy texts in and James texts in almost exactly the same question. I'm wondering if James in Dr. Carthy's dentist chair. Interesting. Pete has sent a follow up mm. question on the VAT, though. One more thing. If I buy insurance for my car or home or life, would I have to pay VAT? Is it payable once to the provider or would I be hit twice if I bought through a brokerage? So maybe you took out three policies all at once once um w- would you pay the vat once or would it be several times if you went through a broker well if you're buying three separate policies then three separate policy from three uh, separate individuals it's sort of like buying three separate products then you would pay three separate times if you're buying it uh, uh but you but you might be able to claim the difference depending on what context you're buying if you're buying it as a business you might be able to do this the input versus output tax you might be able to offset um some of that tax uh, but if you're buying it through a broker um, all three policies through a broker then there you should only p- pay one vat I, I, I guess as well now prices will include the, the the VAT added now, so you will just see this and it'll be breakdown in in the receipt of whatever service you buy. Uh, that's in theory. Uh, that's that's the requirement. Yes. Okay. Coming up, we will be talking about medical insurance, and there's also a question about. Oh, where's it gone? I wanted to ask this question, Ludman. There's a question about medical insurance, and there's also something about the bounce checks. There's been a recent announcement, so we're looking for a bit of clarity on that too. It's Drive Live Talks Legal. Our guest today is Ludmilla Yamalova. We're going to hop through as many of these texts as we can, Ludmilla, now. There was one I mentioned uh, a few moments ago from Kumar. This says, Hi, with the recent announcement that bounce checks up to 200,000 dirhams will result in a fine rather than a prison sentence. What if someone issued me multiple checks, each below 200,000, but cumulatively they make more than 200,000 um, and the checks subsequently bounced. Would that result in a fine or a prison sentence? Well, let me clarify two things. One is it's it's if you have multiple checks, it's per person or per check. Actually, it used to be per person and now it's it's more uh, well, actually, it used to be per check, now it's per person. So in, for, in other words, if one person issued you five checks and all of them bounce, that becomes one claim. It used to be that you'd have five separate claims and now it would be one claim. Uh, uh, but with regards to this new law and the application of the new law to bounce check, it's very important to clarify. It's not that now there's only going to be a fine uh, that's issued to the person who bounced to check uh, in instead of the prison sentence and then they basically just pay this fine and they and and they run away or they basically um, go up free that's not the purpose of this new law and by the way the law is not new it's been around I think we covered it about six months ago or even longer than that uh, but we were waiting for the list of um, uh, offenses uh, that would be covered by this law so the minor offenses and so that list apparently has been published but we have not seen it yet though we've been actively looking for it but once it does once we have our hands on it. I'll, I'll be sure to share it with the listeners. But in the meantime, the, the importance of this law is to understand. So every time there's a crime like this, let's say a bounce check, there are two, um, two uh, elements to it. One is the fine that you pay to the government and two is honoring the check itself. So it's and when and with regards to the government, usually there's a fine and or, and that's depending on the amount of the check and, the, and depending on the uh, on the type of the offense, but there's always an and or. So it's usually a fine to the government and a prison sentence, for example, and or prison sentence. So in this particular case, so certain checks below a certain amount, 
will warrant uh, a in, if in the past let's say you've paid the check uh, and then you go to prison because because that offense would also include a one month prison sentence now there will not be that one month prison sentence there will be an option of paying the penalty instead of serving one month but that doesn't mean that you are now free of the obligation to actually pay the check so you first you need to pay the check but then the additional uh, either penalty uh, financial penalty and or a prison sentence can now be replaced by just a penalty uh, and with regards to I guess I go back to the first part of the question that as I was going to uh, list uh, talking through the question I, I think I understand what the listener meant better with the first part of the question that is if you have one person and they've issued you checks several checks multiple checks below 200,000 each but since now it's it's uh, treated as as one offense per person therefore if he issued you multiple checks and uh, cumulatively they will be over 200,000 so that particular law will not apply and they will be then uh, subject to a prison sentence in addition to paying off uh, the the checks Okay, and can they take civil action if um, after the bounce checks, if there's a final sentence that's been given? Of course. Well, there is no no need to take a civil action here. However, because I think again, the the, I I think I'm speculating. The reason for that follow up question is because people assume that this law somehow allows people who do not who bounce checks to get away with the with actually having to pay the check. That is not what it's about. It's just basically replacing uh, replacing the jail sentence with a fine to the government. But the obligation to pay the check still remains. So there's no need to file a civil claim because you still have a criminal case. So the person will not be able to to do anything. Will still will remain to be in custody until that check is paid. So there's no need to file a civil case. A civil case usually pay you need to file when you actually have a contractual dispute uh, to uh, that you're trying to prove to the court that requires contractual inter- or, or legal interpretation. But in this case, you don't need to do it. If you want to do it for some other reason, obviously, yes, you can do it in parallel. Here's a medical insurance question for you, Ludmilla. I want to get my wife onto my medical insurance from my work, but they're asking her to drop the one she already has. She's also working. Doesn't Dubai law allow for people to be medically insured from their work and their husband's? So the law does not address the issue of multiple insurances. Uh, so it does. There is no provision in the law that disallows for it. However, in practice, it is true. We've seen it over and over again with all insurance providers ourselves um, that they do not allow for multiple coverages uh, to run at the same time. Why? We're not sure. Uh, there could be some insurance providers that um, will will. Um, treat this otherwise because it's really up to the, the individual insurance companies uh, policies it may be that they'll change uh, the policy in the future but for now for some reason that is the policy so I'm not sure what you can do about it other than continue to negotiate with this either the same companies or keep looking for different ones they ju- there was just a follow-up to that question and it says um, his wife's company have said you need to sign a waiver um, his company want a waiver from his wife to say that she's not on that that insurance and is that all perfectly legal and above board to do that uh, well I mean it's 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 really contractual so if the company basically what uh, what the listener is saying is that the condition for his company's for his wife's company is for her to have a different insurance is that she waives this one so it could be because the company itself has its own insurance obviously it has its own insurance policies and it could be a condition of those insurance policies that none of their employees have multiple insurances um, so all of this is contractual so it's very important so it's very important to kind of read through the contract but I, as far as the law is concerned, there's nothing in the law that makes it uh, makes that a requirement. But 
it, it is it is the practice, and therefore, if you do want to benefit from uh, from both insurances, you may not have an option. And if you want to benefit for one uh, over the other because it's a more generous one, so you will have to sign that waiver so that you can uh, you can have the benefit of the I guess of the more uh, the more generous or the br- broader insurance coverage. Okay, I hope that answers your question. As usual, more questions than we had time for. Our guest today was Ludmilla Yamalova from Yamalova and Plathka. Thank you very much for joining us today, Ludmilla. My pleasure. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.